0: Hey, Bill. How's it going, man? Doing well. How are you today? Good, good. So for anybody that's listening that doesn't know Bill, I'm going to give overall introduction. So Bill Faith is, as he claims himself as well, an entrepreneur, a family man, and a business coach. He has over 20 years of experience launching 24 startups, including an inbound marketing agency. He's been in the real estate space for 25 years. He's been in the short-term rental space for multiple years as well. He coaches students how to get into short-term rentals. And he's been throwing one of the biggest short-term rental events to date. So Bill Faith, is there anything else I'm missing? I'm not. That? No, it's
1: kind of embarrassing. I'm, I'm actually, no, actually <laughs> it, there's more, keep it coming. I'm just kidding. No, that's uh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And then you and I just met in person recently at, at another uh, TJ Tajani's event.
0: Um, right right, right. And, and then you're having an event that's
1: coming up in about two months right
0: yeah so having an event coming up it got inspired by you bill so you definitely set the tone and hopefully we can deliver to some degree and i'm excited i'm excited to well look kind of i mean a- michael schroeder
1: and i put on a great fucking event it was it was pretty
0: <laughs> i am I'm, I'm, i'll say that myself i usually don't
1: self-brag that much but it was the best event in the history of our industry Oh, so we missed a couple of things, right, that I really like what you're doing at your event, and I really wish I could be there. You're going to be more focused on, like, networking and, and workshops, and that was the only negative, Patrick, that came out of our event, is that we didn't have enough, you know, networking opportunities. So, we live and learn, and I'm excited that your event, I think it's in October, STR Nation in Vegas, is going to be focusing on that
0: part, because we missed it. Right. So, I you did announce your new event coming up, right? So, can you talk? Not us really bit- officially.
1: I mean, I guess not. We I kind of softly have teased okay. some <laughs> things about it in my Facebook group. We haven't really right. announced it. Michael and I have our STR conference retreat coming up. This is not a sales pitch. It's it's sold out in Miami. I think you're going to be there, right? September 11th mm-hmm. through the 14th. And actually, I just got back from Miami last night. I just had my mastermind mm-hmm. meeting there. And it's going to be awesome, but we're going to announce it there. The dates are March 20th through 22nd. We will be back here in Nashville. We will be at the same venue. It will be a completely different event. And, you know, I'll just give a prelude. We've got, is, I don't even know if I have it here. I think I gave, oh, here we go. I thought I gave it away and I can never say his name correctly. Mike Malowicz, who wrote The Pumpkin yeah. Plan and also Profit First, is going to be our keynote speaker. So I think it's kind of cool to have somebody that's really focused on business, not necessarily STR specific. I can tell you that I've had two books kind of really shape my, my business outlook in the last 15 years. One is a book that every single entrepreneur should read. It's the E-Myth by Michael Gerber, the entrepreneurial myth. Um, And, you know, everybody says work on your business, not inside your business. It's just the perfect anecdote for that. And then Um, I love pumpkin plan, but profit first is something uh, that I kind of did it, but now I have a total new perspective on that. Um, And I think a lot of new entrepreneurs, when we struggle in the beginning, and specifically like with STRs as an example, we don't pay ourselves, right? We pay the mortgage, we pay the insurance, we pay our cleaners, and and we don't pay ourselves. So I can tell you, I, I, I vary a little bit. I pay my business first for everything, and then I pay myself second. Uh, So, but I pay myself before I pay my staff. It didn't used to be that way. And that may sound crazy to somebody that has a job, a W-2, but if I don't pay myself, then I lose interest in the business. If I can't survive, then they're not going to have a job. There's a whole lot of psychology that goes behind it. And I'm super excited to have Mike as our keynote speaker. That's awesome.
0: And I, I haven't, that's new news to me as well. So that's, Nobody that's fucking cool. knows you're the first one, Patrick. Don't <laughs> tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> so that's that's awesome. Thanks for sharing. So I actually read Profit First and it, it blew my mind. It changed my business. And actually, that's something I wanted to ask you, Bill. Do you think that short-term rental operators, you're running a real estate business, right? At the end of the day, a hospitality business. Can you maybe talk about a little bit of why you should be reading business books to get into real estate and that kind of thing.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think what happens is people stay super narrow in their lane when they, if they become a plumber, if they become a public speaker, if they get into real estate. Okay, well, I don't need to know anything about multifamily because I'm in the STR space. I don't need to know anything about boutique hotels because I only buy single family homes, right? Well, things have shifted dramatically. Like I'm buying, I'm buying motels and converting them into boutique hotels right now. I just got phone with one of my bankers and and one of my markets, I'm buying a duplex that's $1.9 million. I'm not buying single family homes right now. And if I am, it's below that like 600, $600, $650,000 price point because everything's just too inflated. So if I would have never moved into exploring single family or multifamily homes and learning about how that model works, I would have never been able to get multifamily funding and also exits on single family homes. And there's a lot of people that don't understand how that works, right? So I had to learn. I learned from Brandon Turner. I learned from, you know, Uncle G and how that stuff works, right? Yeah. So what happens, I'm just going to walk you through a scenario. If you don't mind, I'll be a little bit long-winded here. No, go I for it. I just put a property yesterday under contract in Hot Springs, Arkansas. They're asking 645 We asked uh, 600 They came back at 625 We did one more counter. We said, we'll give you 675 so why the heck would I go from 625 and not just say yes to go to 675? Because I'm also asking for a $50,000 credit at closing. So one thing that does that eliminates me from going to a DSCR product, because you can only max out your credits back at 3%, right? Which is fine. Had no intention of doing that anyways. We're using a local local community bank commercial loan. But because we're we're basically doing ARV, we run mega performas. We have all of our shit together, right? So I've got a couple of partners in this and this is for my fund that I think I've told you started a syndication, hundred million dollars. Right now there's a personal net worth of about 30 million between the three partners but we still show our tax returns. We have everything on our PFSs. We deliver six performa models based on current rental income future rental income and multiple rates and expenses, right? So, but we're doing ARV, that is after renovation value for those of you that aren't familiar with that acronym. And that's why we're asking for the $50,000 back. So that way we'll go in and it's almost a turnkey property and it's undervalued right now by probably close to 120,000 bucks. We're gonna have immediate equity and we can do one of two things. We can use that $50,000 to furnish or it's gonna take us about 120 to close. So that's 50,000 each. Well, that's about roughly sixteen thousand five hundred seventeen thousand bucks. So now we lower our cost basis down to uh, roughly $23,000 each, which is going to dramatically in- increase our cash-on-cash return, right? So if I wasn't continuing to learn, if I wasn't in mastermind groups, if I didn't read books like Profit First or The Pumpkin Pan or you know, Traction or The Art of the Starts or all these, you know, Brendan Burchard high-performance habits, these are all – you know, and that's just that's my five percent of my book collection, right? We one of the things we have to do is we have to explore, we have to open our minds, and we want to learn outside of our niche. So, you talked about twenty four startups. I've done thirty one now. You probably found a bio, find my LinkedIn or something that's outdated, but I've been yeah. in the restaurant business. I was drop shipping in nineteen ninety three, actually Brazilian swimwear. My first exit out of a company swimwear selling t-shirts out of the back of my car restaurants grew it from one to six turning into a franchise sold it been in real estate for 26 years now marketing agency limousine company you name it i've been in all these different industries but here's the thing business principles the same business principles apply to every single business and for many many years it's been the american home when i'm in right now and you're probably in is the biggest investment you'll ever make. Well, that was the same for me until I started getting into short-term rentals and real estate and buying bigger properties. Than what, so I paid like $726,000 for my house. Sure, it's worth 2 million today and I put 300 into it since then, but I didn't write those. I, my house in Elk I bought in, it closed in April. I put $420,000 in cash down and roughly $85,000 in Building out a game room and furniture and just all the post closing stuff. $505,000. That's a half a fucking million dollars. That's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. You know, people's huevos are going to shrink up if they've never done that before. So, (laughs) one of the things about the due diligence on the front end, when I talk about that preparation, the evaluating properties, the performance, figuring out NOI, running multiple scenarios, 20 year financing, 25 year financing, you know, seeing if you can get owner financing into these deals. Running multiple comps on multifamily entrances and exits, single family entrances and exits assures us literally 99.9% we will not make a bad
0: deal. That's awesome. So, you do have to do your due diligence. You did make a point earlier that I kind of want to bring back because I'm in a similar boat as well. I realized that there's, you know, being in this space with people that are doing things and, and being like in the know, because you're at all these events, you're all, you're pretty much plugged in, in these communities, these masterminds, all this stuff, you really start to learn why people, people are starting to drift towards hotels. Why are people drifting towards hotels? And then you start really learning about it. Um, And, and one thing I realized, and maybe you can uh, talk, you know, to this as well is, you know, if there's a home on the same block with the same you know, comp, same comp, two bedroom, two bath, two bedroom, two bath. This one makes $150,000 on Airbnb. This one makes $50,000 in Airbnb or not for $0. They're valued the same. Yeah. Right. But when you get into not commercial for, single family, home. for single family home, yes, correct. But when you get into commercial hotels, things like that, a simple repositioning and better marketing can, can already stabilize the property at two X, you know? So can you maybe talk about uh, your hotel and how, you know, the power of building wealth through commercial?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's exactly exactly what you said. I mean, I I built uh, a brand new beach house in Gulf Shores that we closed on, uh, you know, essentially Thanksgiving of last year. I'm in for a million bucks. 300 bought the sand, a lot for 300 six hundred thousand dollars in in construction costs i know the numbers to a t- i literally just submitted cost segregation information uh last night um and basically one hundred and four thousand dollars for furnishings and amenities you know i've got you know like everybody else bikes and kayaks and coffee bars and you know on and this was the highest end furnishings that we've ever done and if you remember when i did my presentation you were there in nashville and i showed you the same house everything that you're talking about well that house down the street i know that banker uh my house today is worth about 1.85 million his is worth about 1.7 million so it's increased dramatically in value but if i took that six bedroom four bath with a pool and it was six one bedroom units right with bathrooms with a pool and i did the same amount of revenue i'm going to do about between 345 to 360 i'll close out the first 12 months right? So that 345 to 360 does not, imp- and I'm talking about my, my rental revenue, that does not impact the value to the single family home. It might a little bit if I put it into Airbnb homes for sale group and a an inv- specific is mm-hmm. looking to buy it. But in most cases, even though we, we give rents, it's based on the appraisal, based on the comps uh, yes. being sold as any other single family home. Yeah. If I t- take that and break that down into units and it's multifamily, all investments are the same. All revenues are the same. My PL looks the same. My NOI is the same. But now I go and I sell that as a multifamily product with a T12. That's the 350,000 in my trailing 12 months. Mm-hmm. I can get a three to three and a half time multiple on that. Right. right. So what is 3.5 times 350,000? I'm not real smart. So I'm going to pull up my phone and I'm going <laughs> to. Three hundred and fifty thousand bucks times. Of course, I screwed it up. Three hundred and fifty thousand times three point five, um, you know, is one point two two five million dollars just based on the revenue. Then let's right. go and factor in the equity inside the property, right? So if I go add that at one point eight, now I'm looking about a three million to three point one million dollar transaction as opposed to just selling the asset, the dwelling, the land for 1.8 million. So that's how you can literally add 65 to 80% of value. And and when you get big more units, um, you know, you're going to expand it as well. So it's one of the reasons I was on the reason I was three minutes late, Patrick, I'm on the phone with one of my two bankers in Gulf Shores, um, because we just made an offer on a property yesterday. There's not a whole lot of multifamily down in the Gulf Shores, Orange Beach, you got to go even through Dustin, there's really not. You got to go all the way to Old School Panama City Beach to really find some, uh, some multifamily that could do some ARV too. Uh, but we, we're we're working on a duplex right now that we're negotiating with. Uh, but we're even on a duplex. We're going to get a multifamily funding for an entrance, and we'll figure out how to get the multifamily exit on the back end as well.
0: That's awesome. So. Going off of that, what's next for you, Bill? Like what, what are you working on currently? Uh, what are you working on next? How are you positioning yourself? The people that are intermediate and are looking to scale or get to the next level, like what's what are you doing? Maybe that will draw some inspiration.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, there's a couple of things. It's what I'm doing, but also I'd say what I'm involved, what I see is probably more important for the beginner right. or novice or intermediate uh, investor. And kind of what I see through Bill and Kenny's hot picks. I think you met you met Kenny Bedwell from SVR Insights. We have a program called BK Hot Picks uh, to where we're analyzing properties all across the country every day, and we deliver our members fifteen percent gross ROI or above. So that should be thirty percent cash on cash with a twenty percent down. Those are fewer and far between, obviously, than what we saw six months ago. Um, and we're not seeing those in Gulf Shores. We're not seeing them in Dustin or Broken Bow orlando you know the smokies we're seeing them in uh places like maggie valley north carolina or Mm -hmm. um you know not even if you're familiar with asheville it's not it's not even swananoa or black mountain it's hendersonville it's bryson north Mm -hmm. carolina it's maggie valley uh it's why i'm investing into hot springs right now you look at places like memphis or legit toledo ohio um Mm -hmm. it's the there's a lot of Urban uh that people are investing into now where it was all vacation rental previously. Um, any, I mean, the standard rule of thumb is this. If anybody's talking about it on social media, right now it is not a place to invest, period. Right. And e- even if you can probably save 10 or 15%. So, Bill, you just said you put a, an offer in Gulf Shores. It's not a single family home. It's a duplex. So that gives me three opportunities for three different types of pricing, three different types of marketing. I'm creating more channels to be able to book that property, right? So I am I look at single family homes. Kenny and I have not seen a property now at 113 days over a million dollars that will do 30% cash on cash. Let that sink wow. in. A million dollars listed on the market will not hit 30% cash on cash unless, you, well, it's just not going to do it. Uh, so most of the single family homes, I've got a rule right now. It's for me, it's pretty much $650,000 or less. Um, and we are seeing, so we're seeing some of those in Island Park. We're seeing them all over West Western North Carolina is like one of the hottest places to invest. Uh, still the beach down in Texas, um, Gulfport, Mississippi has some really good deals, but you got to take that personal bias of, okay, it's Rocky beach, it's Mississippi, You know, it's Texas, the the water's brown, it's not dusting. That's okay. Not everybody can afford to go to 38, right? Not everybody can afford $15,000, $20,000 a week for a four or a five bedroom property. And if you wanna go investor and do that, great, but just understand you're gonna take four to 5 million as an entry point to be able to get in there. Four bedrooms, five bedrooms, literally tier seven to tier 10 are going for 1.8 to $2 million in those markets. The the Performa does not justify that, right? So what's really important for me is what I look at, I look at as many properties as I can. I look all over the country every single day. Kenny and I have six VAs that are going through STR Insights, looking for those and then delivering us the top properties, right? So what happens is, is I plug those in. When I see those top properties, I plug them into my Performa. And my Performa has a no or go no, you know, sell inside of it. And essentially, for me, that's 25% cash on cash. But if it's going to go below 30 to 25, that better be yielding over $150,000 net on a property. I'm not willing to compromise below 30% if it's going to be below $150,000 net. That means I typically got to do around 300 to 325, 335. I'm typically doing about 40, 45% net margin. So I might even need to push 350. Don't see those in single family homes right now because they're inflated everywhere. That's the problem. So rule of thumb, just to summarize 650 or less in markets that people are not investing to, instead of looking in Scottsdale, um, you know, look in Glendale, look in Tempe, go to Tucson and look in Tucson where nobody ever talks about Tucson, you know, instead of, you know, Santa Fe, Uh, you know, New Mexico. Look in the outlying areas around it. Go even farther north, closer to to Denver. But here's the big things. you got to have the traffic drivers. It's very evident in Blue Ridge, Georgia, and that whole North Georgia mountains that are getting crushed, and they even did over the summer, and they're really getting annihilated right now. There's no traffic drivers. Well, Bill, you're in Banner Elk and Beach Mountain, North Carolina. What are the traffic drivers there? Well, App State and Boone is playing UNC tonight. It's sold out. You can't even get tickets. 60,000 people driving in from all over that region. I mean, it's not going to affect me. I'm too far away. But if you're in Blowing Rock, Boone, those are traffic drivers at university. I mean, you want to do some midterm stays up by Boone, then you got the compression events, the football, that type of stuff. Then look at Furnish Finder. You know, I'm talking non-traditional vacation rental stuff, right? Now, if you're down where I am, Banner Elk, and then up on Beach Mountain, we're coming into ski season. But you've also got tremendous hiking, river rafting, all that type of stuff. But skiing is the big deal, right? So we're just getting ready to go in the season. One of the reasons that you look at the Smokies, it's sure they've got Ober to ski, but it's proximity to Knoxville, proximity to Nashville, right? They've also got Dollywood. They have every one of those three small towns has their own entertainment inside. But there ain't shit in Blue Ridge, just like there's nothing in Broken Bro- Broken Bow. We don't hear as much about Broken Bow because there wasn't as much consolidation, as much saturation, volume of properties, but they're getting crushed there as well, right? So that's one of the, Bill, why Hot Springs, Arkansas? Because of the casino, the horse track, the bathhouses, the lake, and the state park. Five traffic drivers. We could lose two of them and be fine, probably three of them and be fine.
0: So you have to look at the traffic drivers in new markets. That's awesome. And so Bill, do you ever invest in transient markets or it's usually you're, you're always looking for the traffic drivers to those markets? Define transient. Transient, more so like along the route, motels, hotels, the, or, or single family homes, you know, that kind of thing. You don't. No, do- you know
1: what? One of the biggest influences in my life was a business partner named Reg Booth. Him and I built a $30 million glow in the dark miniature golf course business around the country. where you'd walk into a shopping mall and you'd go play glow golf right and we created that and we didn't go to strip centers we didn't go to any transient locations we went to the shopping malls and the big ones like an opry mills mall here if anybody's in the northeast like a natick mall or natick mall outside of boston or sawgrass mills down in fort lauderdale if you're in the phoenix area you know arizona mills we went to these places that have built-in traffic right and a lot of people would say, oh, well, you, you like focused on these mills properties, they have the whole entertainment, they have Dave and Buster's, they have IMAX movie theaters. Great. That drives traffic. Well, you can't compete with them. We were like this Toyota. We started the industry. It didn't exist, but we were the Toyota of the industry. We weren't the Mercedes. But we stayed in the price point that those people wanted. We competed at right similar ticket prices to like the movie theaters. And what an average kid would, what the parents would give the kid to spend in quarters inside of an arcade. And we gave them a unique, different experience. Do the same fucking thing in short-term rounds. So I'm not going to go halfway between Vermont and Maine. It may have 200,000 cars going through that highway a day. But if there's nothing to make them stop, I'm not interested Right, so I do try to find the ancillary markets outside of the primary market, right? I, I, I'm, I love Fort Morgan as opposed to Gulf Shores. I've only moved into Gulf Shores because I do deep research, even when I'm already in a market and I was probably one of the first people, if not the first to identify as an investor two and a half years ago, what was happening with the airport there. So I sold every asset I had in Fort Morgan and moved it closer to West Beach, which was the primary, area, bought land, built, bought existing houses. I flipped nine houses in less than 16 months so I could level up and I didn't have to come out of pocket. And now, and I brought my friends down there with me, right? So they could make these investments. Well, now I just found out while I was down in Miami that the first commercial flight is supposed to land in three weeks. I forgot the date, it's like the end of September. So now you're taking a market that has strictly been driving and the John Edwards, I think, was the name of the airport before John C. Edwards Airport is now Gulf Shores International and flights are starting. So you old schoolers that are out there that are listening to this and you remember what happened and, you know, when when you could stop flying into Fort Walton Beach and have to make two connections, go through Atlanta, go through Dallas, and then you could fly direct on Southwest into PCB. That's why 30A blew up and it did what it did. And that, my friends, is what's going to happen with Gulf Shores over the next five years. Even if the fucking market tanks and we see my $1.8 million house come down to 1400000 million, I'm not worried because I know what's going to happen once we get through this phase because everything comes back, right? And that airport is going to change everything.
0: 100%. And I think, Bill, I think that's what is really interesting about you is you don't invest for only current uh, cash flow and profits, but also future appreciation of the market itself. You see these different factors that are going to be affecting the areas that you invest in, so that even if you make an okay deal, with time it becomes a great deal. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, kind so, of the same principle. It's the deep research, right? And I am looking, right. you know, down the road. I do not factor that into my performance. I only buy based off of the rental right. income and the cash flow. I never factor in equity growth uh, into making the decision from the performer. I'm basing that on cash flow. But I do look at that equity for the long term. It's one of the reasons that we're in Hot Springs, Arkansas right now, because of that deadline of November 1st. And they pulled 500 permits down to 400, right? So it's going to be Asheville. It's going to be closed. Mm -hmm. And most people won't be able to start now and try to identify something. And they get financing and appraisals, even at this point, September 1st. In two months, that's going to be challenging, and it's going to be really challenging for people if they want to buy one of the vacant, you know, motels that are there and the multifamily space. So that's why we've got multiple properties under contract. Um, we can probably squeeze in one or two more, depending on you know how fast we can get through that deal. Um, but that's going to be critical. And you know, there's there's a place I really want, and here's where the bias comes in, right? We and we all have to be self aware enough to identify this because it can really screw you. And the long run, I found a, a commercial multifamily property in Asheville, North Carolina, new construction, 1800 square feet of commercial on the bottom could be subdivided into two, 900, parcels. That'll probably generate about 60, $65,000 a year in long-term rent income, a triple net. Uh, but there's four two twos on top of it with permits inside the city limits of Asheville and a sweet rooftop deck, right? They were at, well, I forgot what they were asking. Maybe it was 3 million or 3, no, 3.5 3. million. Just couldn't get the numbers to work. I wanted it. So it's brand new. It's beautiful. Walk to downtown Asheville. I know when you talk about that appreciation play, I know that like five years from now, it's a five to $6 million property, but literally it was like negative 2.3% cash flow. So I'm not willing to sit there with the old mentality of let's buy, along an ltr and let it sit and just base my investment off of appreciation because i would have to put a minimum of probably a million dollars into that property to close it and i can generate more cash flow and appreciation in a different market and in a
0: different property so bill i i love what you just said there let's talk about active versus passive income because I think a lot of people want to just park their money and wait for it to grow. But a lot of times it's about finding those value add deals or things that are a little bit more active, but tend to generate higher returns now because your cash on cash is, is important. Right? So I think people starting out can't just park their money unless they want to wait 10, 20 years or 30 years before they really reap the benefits of that real estate. You
1: know? I mean, I, I don't think if if you're going to do any type of self-management, you know, a lot of people think that SDRs are passive. I don't believe that it is. I think a passive is like investing in my fund or anybody's fund um, and being a limited partner, right? That's a passive investment into real estate. And you can do Brandon Turner's open door capital, uncle G's, you know, Cardone capital, you can do ours, whatever Uh, that's passive, but you're not going to get the return and your money's tied up. You don't get to determine Mm. when you, if you if you make a, if you're an accredited investor, and you make a hundred thousand dollar investment or a million dollar investment and you have a life experience, then now you got to get your hands on that hundred grand. You're locked in, you don't get it, or that million dollars. That's the risk. You might make eight, 10, 12, 15% annualized return on that, which is pretty solid, much less risky than being in the stock market today. But one of the reasons I'm a GP, right, as opposed to an LP, and I'm putting the whole fund together. One, the people that invest get to rely on my investing and hosting skills, which I'm not going to say I'm better than anybody else. They can make their own decision. I think I'm pretty solid. My track record speaks for itself. But two, <clears throat> I'm investing on my own still outside of the fund because I want to have that control of the cash flow. So passive in real estate, I mean, if you look at the traditional multifamily funds, it's like 8% uh, you know, annualized preferential rate, right? So 8% is not good enough for me to make it clear. I typically won't do anything that's gonna generate less than $150,000 a year in cash at less than 30%. If it'll do 150 plus, I'm depending on appreciation, I'm willing to come down to potentially in the, in the low to mid 20s. Uh, so I can passive income 8%, if I can just do 24, that's 3X. If I can get that to 32, we're talking 4X, right? And my portfolio during the pandemic, you know, we, 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 we've we been we've been pushing pretty close to 37% cash on cash portfolio wide, which is fairly strong. Now, I'm strong, yeah. conservatively pulling that back to where I think I'll be in, in the probably mid to high 20s over the next 12 months because I am not bullish. I am very bearish on what's going to happen over the next nine months. I think we'll be fine going back into the summer. And, and like most people, I've already got bookings for next summer in my summer properties. But you know what I don't have? I don't have that many winter bookings for my winter properties that are, that have been newly listed in in the spring and the summer. So that, that could be tough, you know? Are you, are
0: you balancing your portfolio with different seasonality like properties? Like some, can you maybe talk about diversification uh, of your assets? Yeah. So a lot of
1: people kind of just assimilate me in Gulf Shores, just because I use that as an example all the time that I'm the Gulf Shores guy um i've got property i've got mountain properties i've got lake properties uh, i've got west coast properties i've got east coast properties so big difference having a place in estes park colorado uh even though it's in the mountains than it is you know having a place in banner elf north carolina or up right up next to the ski slopes at beach mountain um so i kind of treat my portfolio and, and how i build it One for lifestyle. So I'm much older than you are, Patrick. I don't know if you knew that or not. I know I look pretty young. I'm just kidding. So, I mean, I'm 49 and a half years old. Initially, my retirement plan, um, when I built it about seven years ago, and this is a key component, I built my retirement plan, right? So I don't talk about this a whole lot publicly. I kind of say this stuff for like my mastermind meetings and everything. Um, But I built my retirement plan with a, a huge mentor of mine named John Baird. And we got very intentional and very specific. and I didn't I, what I found out is I didn't really know what I wanted in retirement. I didn't know when I would retire. It's not like I have a job and I work in you know a factory and you retire at sixty five and they give you a three hundred dollars gold watch and I have a pension at two thousand dollars a month. You know, so I, I I felt like I was too young at the time I was forty two years old, and I probably felt like I was your age. So John Verden, who was a mentor of mine. He, uh, former CEO, of Caldwell Banker Barnes, Canada. He turned him around from like $120 million loss, $280 million profit in three years, angel investor, technology, all this type of stuff. And I remember when we, I, I was in EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization. I dropped out after a shitty experience, took my top three people in my group, my forum, started something called Spark, our own you know, mastermind group. And we called it Spark because we wanted that spark. We weren't getting it, right? And our responsibility was to spark everybody else. First thing we did was for us, we hired John Barrett. I hired him to come in. First thing he did when he came in, all right, boys, he was treating us like we were his managers, like mid-level managers. Be on time or the door's locked. You know, whatever. Show up late. $100 fine. It's going to fund our trips. All this type of stuff, just hardcore. And we didn't go over our financials. The first thing he said, I know you guys want to be like me. You want to be old. You want to be retired. You want to be a multimillionaire. I've had exits. I'm an angel investor now, blah, blah, blah. But you don't want to fucking be like me because he'd been divorced. I think it was three times he'd been divorced. And he built, he started helping us build our life plan. And it starts specifics, right? So if I ask you define retirement, Patrick, What what does retirement mean to you?
0: In my eyes, personally, it means having the financial and the time freedom to do whatever I choose to do. And yeah. bullshit a bullshit
1: response. It's the same fucking thing all of us say. I said <laughs> the exact same thing. You, yeah. you, you got to think of it like a football game, right? Hmm. If Peyton Manning drives all the way down to the 10-yard line and throws you the pass and you catch it inside that thing that says Indianapolis in it, and then all of a sudden you see on the one-yard line Tom Brady – They've got the ball and he's going down the field and then he throws it to whoever inside that thing that says, you know, Tampa. I know Peyton doesn't play anymore. I'm not that stupid, but. (laughs) And what happens if there's no score on the scoreboard? They just throw into these end things, you know, and then come back. It's not, you get six points when you score in the end zone and then you kick a field goal, right? You don't have Adam Benetari out there. It's they're just going back and forth. That's what you just said. And that's what everybody says. I did the exact same thing. Bill, what the fuck does that mean? That's exactly what he said to me. I said, I don't know. He's all that's the best answer you've given so far. Okay. How much money do you need when you retire? I don't know. Okay. What are your expenses now? Then let's run it on inflation. Do you have any desire to, to have a vacation home? At the time, I didn't own a vacation home. No, never thought about that. How are you going to get there? You're going to buy an RV? You're going to fly? You're going to buy a plane? You gonna... So we go through all these scenarios. Long story short, what you said is you're flying that plane around you know LaGuardia, just circling Manhattan to burn the fuel at 30,000 feet. We got to bring that thing right down on the runway and be very specific because we can't measure it. If we can't keep score, if we don't have date set, so we don't have that clock to run out, then we don't really have a plan. Does that make sense? So the first right. thing he did, and I built my own success planner after this. First thing, page number one, what are my three life goals? Be a great father, have $15 million in liquidity, with no debt when I retire at the, at the time, it was the age of 60. So I had that date on my calendar, right? But then it manifested out to where he made three months later, we're signing a contract with our spouses. All the way down to how much time we're spending with our family, how much time we're spending with our kids, budgeting what the weddings are going to cost for my $2, or my two daughters, budgeting what college is going to cost, and defining specifically what retirement looks like for us. That's when me and my wife got into short-term rentals, 2015. Because we knew we wanted a beach house, we wanted a place in Scottsdale, which we'd had before to play golf. I'm an ex golf professional. We knew that we wanted to have a, a, a lake property, a mountain property, and we knew the one place we don't have right now is we wanted to be in Montana. So we were buying lifestyle assets that would cash flow and essentially have no debt, 13, 14, 15 years down the road. At that point, that then that would help fund our cash flow if we truly wanted to disconnect. So the goal was $800,000 in income just through short-term rentals. The problem is, is I grew too fast and I got to where I owned 13 properties at one time, right? I didn't want to work that much because it's not passive. So I pulled back on that and I've sold properties and I'm actually narrowing my portfolio down to the goal to keep it below 10 because it's we don't measure our success by the number of units. And may seem that way publicly. I make more money than most people do that have 50 to hundred units. I'm making over a million dollars in co-hosting and a a portfolio that I own 10 units right now, right? I don't need to have 20. I don't need to have 30. I'm also now ready to retire instead of when I'm 60, I'm 49 and a half. I'm ready to retire at 54 and a half. There's also another life event, right? So that means that my daughter, my youngest daughter will be out of high school. She'll be in college, but it's okay. I've got 529s maxed out. I've got $400,000 each ready to pay for their college. I've got 150,000 for their weddings. I've got another 2.5 million socked away for them to start businesses, to do whatever they want. My oldest daughter wants to become a doctor. That could cost me a million plus just in education over 10 years. So I'm planning all of these things out. But most importantly, back to what you said, the result is time, freedom, and whatever the fuck I want to do when I hit my financial goals and I've taken care of my family when I'm very specific and I can hit those things then I earn that other stuff. Most people think I'm going to work towards time freedom and I'm going to travel the world. Those are the two biggest things, right? And so I also have a budget for how much my wife and I are going to spend to travel between our own properties, which we can use a lot of that for tax write-offs. That's another interview with Ryan Bakey, or we'll talk about that later. Uh, (laughs) And to go to wherever we want to go. So I've been to a couple of places that she's never been. I got to take her to Peru and go to Machu Picchu. I've been there. I got to take her to the Galapagos. I've been there. So those things we're budgeting now. I know for us to go to the Galapagos Islands, the way we want to do it, it's going to cost about 22,000 bucks today. So if we Mm, do that 15 years from now, I'm guessing right now, and I legit, it's like, I think it's like I added like 55 or $6,000 to that cost. (laughs) Yeah. If we don't plan this detailed, we're not going to hit our goals. It's the same thing that I see when people are buying properties, Patrick. Okay, AirDNA says this on the free version, I'm good. It's so I'm gonna pay 600,000. AirDNA says it's gonna do $100,000 in revenue. I don't need to get the paid version. I don't need to do all these performance that Bill's talking about. And then those are the people that end up upside down five months from now, unfortunately. They don't factor in the carry costs. They don't factor in all the expenses. They're not factoring in for inflation. They're not looking at what the market trends are. They're not looking at the pacing feature inside AirDNA to see occupancies and pricing for properties that are sold versus that are still on the market that are available to rent. The depth of how we go in our evaluation process, running our own personal financials and planning our future is what's gonna determine our success or not, because a lot of it's gonna be distilled down all the way to these things, which are daily decisions. And you notice everything on there, I can keep score. Every single day, I keep score with what's going on in my life. Because if I don't,
0: then I'll fall behind. That's awesome. So you're, you're basically saying that you have to be intentional about your goals. You can't just say, well, I want to be financially free. It's very generic. It's not precise. You have to really boil down. And I, I tell people this too. Actually, Mike was the one that introduced me to this because I'm in his mastermind. He talked about how to be intentional with what your perfect day is and then structure yourself to to get there and like how much really how much money does that really take and i think that and was so you can't really
1: define a perfect day unless you know what your perfect outcome is first mm-hmm. right so that doesn't matter how old are you i'm 25 so you're 25 i'm 49 right i'm almost a quarter of a century older than you it doesn't matter if you're my age or if you're at your age, we, we don't know what that looks like if we don't know what we're working towards. Right? right. So, and it's way harder to do it at your age than it is at my age, but we've really got to figure out what we want. And man, when you're 20, 24, 25, 26, you, I didn't even, I thought like 50 year olds were dead. They were in retirement. They look so old to me, but now I look at it I still feel like I'm in the prime of my life. That I'm probably going to live another 30 or 40 years, right? So if I don't have my head wrapped around that, and it's not just about thinking about it, it's about building out a plan. And most important, this is why I do at my couples retreats, right? You build out your plan and then you sign it. You are signing it with your spouse. You have to be in alignment. I assume you're probably not married, so it's a little bit different. You're thinking for a party of one, most likely right now. I'm not even thinking just for a party of four that includes my spouse. I have two daughters. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, what if they get married? That's Mm -hmm. another two people. Now I'm thinking about six. What if they have two kids? Now I'm thinking a party of 10. And those are things that we look at down the road. My oldest daughter is 16. You know, if I I look at the trends now, she's probably going to have a child in the next eight to 12 years.
0: Well, you're anticipating that as well so i'm anticipating i'm gonna get married i'm gonna have kids right so like yeah. just because you're older doesn't mean like when you're younger you should also plan for these kind of things like if you know you want to have kids factor that in you know you're gonna have here's to the have difference
1: in the execution knowledge. right most younger people myself included think about it but we don't execute and putting a plan together that's the difference maker right I'm I'm the fattest I've ever been in my life right now. You know why? Because I haven't built out a freaking plan to remedy that. I want to do something about it. And I've been fat before and I've lost 80 pounds, right? And right next door is a gym. Not like down the street at Gold's Gym. I've got a full freaking gym in the room next door. My wife's a fitness coach. I, and I want it, right? Just like you want financial freedom when you retire. But I haven't put executed on putting a plan down yet. And I know myself that as soon as I put the plan down, then I will execute. But for whatever reason, I haven't had the motivation to do it. And that's the problem when you're young. It's getting that motivation to get to execution. Does that make sense? Because you think it's so far off. I don't need to think about it today. You know, we don't even listen to financial planners at 24. Make sure, You know, if you put $200 a month away for until you retire at 60, it's going to be worth $1.3 You know, today I'm thinking, fuck that. I'm putting 600 away every month. I'm not going to go to the bars. I'm not going to go on that vacation. I'm not going to buy those Gucci shoes. I'm committing to that first. It's just the younger we are, the mentality is not there as a whole, right? So the, the execution to define and document, execution, decision, define and document, in my opinion, is what will really change the game for most people.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome nuggets. And, and maybe let's let's dive more into that, right? So I'm curious, because you you're you're part of, you have your own mastermind, and you have students, and you see the students that fail and the ones that succeed, what differences depict the ones that really do well and the ones that don't?
1: Number one is just engagement. Like you kind of mentioned it earlier. You know, you were at my national conference. I saw you at TJ's. You're coming to mine and, you know, mine and Mike's in in Miami. You're running your own. Just like what is that? One, two, like four or five different places. And then you're in Mike's mastermind, right? You're surrounding your yourself with with people that are on the same journey. Just, I mean, by osmosis, you're going to learn, you know, even if you're just there to do whatever. there's there's two gentlemen in my mastermind that have, you know, are also in Mike's mastermind. They were both in Miami with us. One is just, he's very, very driven like myself. The other doesn't know his numbers. He's not into the, he's not in the weeds and the details, right? And so Mike and I, and I called him out on it and I said, look, that was fucking embarrassing what you did, You, you know, you get up and you're presenting on a property and you don't know anything about your financials. So now my goal is to ensure that he gets to that point that he comes, you know, he's here, I'm here. I don't expect him to come all the way over to my side, but we've got to meet in the middle somewhere, right? Because he's going to make some some mistakes along the way and, and, and I can't allow somebody to make those mistakes. I think it's really, it's mindset is number one. Really, actually number one is mindset to become inclusive. And so like, I've got two rules in my mastermind. Rule number one is you have to give more than you expect to return. And we define that. That means that you you have to be at every meeting. You have to do our benchmarks on a monthly basis. You have to be on the calls and you have to, you need to be a giver because if you're not, you're not going to get anything. You're not going to get what you want in return. And we have a no asshole policy. But we also have other requirements that they have to meet to remain a member because that's the discipline that we need, that I need to move people forward, right? Because I've learned it through myself and other masterminds that I've ran. For me, it's not just the money. Hey, come in and you know what? You know, you can go fuck off and do whatever you want. You've already paid me. That's not the deal, you know, for me. So I want to have life-changing experiences. A lot of people, when they come in, they don't. They want me to change those things for them. So literally, I flew home yesterday. The night before was we we do activities in our accountability groups in the afternoon, right? Then I pull them back in at 8.30 and we wrapped up on two nights ago and I said who's thinking differently or i asked a question and i and a lot of people raise their hands probably like 70 and a lot of even the yogis that have been to six or seven meetings in person because then i know i'm doing my job cuz my job is leading a mastermind or teaching or being an educator it, just like any teacher at any level you know from first grade to 12th grade to a professor it's not to do it for them it's to open their eyes to doing something differently And most importantly, getting them to think differently. If I can get my people, whether it's a free coaching call in my Facebook group, in my mastermind, it doesn't matter. But if I can get them to change their thought process, just to open up their horizons. And most importantly, I think the number one thing, Patrick, is most people think small. And when they think small, they achieve small results. I was fortunate enough to be raised by a single mother that never made any money in her life, probably never more than $50,000 a year, I didn't grow up dirt poor, everything was fine. But you know what, we sure as hell, we're not middle, probably the bottom of middle class. But she thought big. And she was a teacher. And she started her own business. She, she literally started a preschool, because that's what she wanted to do to help people, because it was ridiculously expensive. And she wanted to serve people like herself. You know, the single mother, what does she do with me when I get out of school at three and she works till five or she had two jobs working? And if there's anybody old watching this, remember Mervyn's? You don't know Mervyn's, but that was like a West Coast store chain that, man, it probably went away in the 80s. My mom literally worked at Mervyn's at nights after being a teacher because she didn't have enough money. Once again, I didn't starve. We were fine. I'm not giving like a sob story. But what does she do with me from three o'clock till 10 o'clock at night? can't afford that stuff. But she thought big and she took something that I look at back now that I would never have advised her to go into that business if she's not gonna make any money. She ended up leaving me over probably 1.2, 1.3 million dollars when she passed away. She thought she was broke because she thought bigger to do things outside of just teaching and making $35,000 a year and getting summers off. And I think that's the limiting belief that we all have. And it's hard with self-confidence but one of the things I want to do is I want to pe- open people up and show them I'm not the guy that had $100 million coming into this. I'm not a hedge fund manager. I don't have all, I can't just go buy what I want. I saved and saved and saved to start with $127,000 to buy my first property. And then it took me two years of taking a $45,000 annual rent property to turn it to 112. And then I took the profits out of that to buy property number two. And then it becomes easier. And one takeaway I want you guys to to remember about buying properties and scaling, the hardest property to purchase and the most important isn't number one, it's number two. I've never invested one more penny Patrick than I did on that very first down payment. I've never had to. I've grown my portfolio to roughly about $13 million in equity right now with never having to put any more capital into my business. And that's the way that I think people should look at it because there's people that are going too fast right now. So I'm very conservative in my analysis, but I, I manage my finances to where when I see a deal, I can move super quickly, right? And that's part of the mindset. You know, Michael talks a lot about mindset. He's into that stuff. And it's really our limiting beliefs, I believe, that hold us back. So the people that thrive in my mastermind are the ones that I can open up their horizons and they engage. Those are the two biggest things. The ones that don't engage and don't open up. And we've only had four members drop out in the entire history of the mastermind. Those are the four that didn't participate and they dropped out.
0: Wow. Yeah, that that shows a lot. And with this looming economy, whatever's happening in the economy, it's more so (laughs) important to do your due diligence, to run your numbers and to be careful of what, really is happening and and we're being very conservative in our numbers. How are you working with what's happening in, in this economy right now?
1: Well I can tell you right now, I have not I, I'm in when, since I bought that second property with my first property's cash flow and I waited actually about 25, 26 months to get there. I'm in the longest drought, if you will, of of not buying a property. My last property was in April that I closed on at Beach Mountain, North Carolina. So it's been pretty much all of April, May june july august five months i don't think i've gone longer than three months without buying a property for about a five and a half year run even pre covid now i'm just being cautious because I, I i've been in all single family i've got properties under contract now motel duplex and a single family home so i'm blending the portfolio and i'm going more towards multi-family right now because even if i took a hit on appraisal equity that's okay Because the sale, the transaction is going to be on the financial component, right? And I do believe, and it's funny, I have my funding company, Apollo Funding out of Austin, Texas was at my mastermind meeting, we were talking about this. And we see some trends starting to happen to where single family bankers will, if if you're very well prepared on the front end, and if they are vested into multifamily, they will do some ARV, they will do some multifamily funding. On single-family homes, and that's kind of the first step. Specifically, if you have T T12s that you can utilize, right? So it's kind yeah. of the first step of these banks engaging and saying, you know what, short-term rentals and single-family homes are a business. It's traditionally been. It just takes a few of them to kind of get those dominoes, you know, moving. So we have found two recently that are giving us funding like that. So it's one of the one of amazing. the secrets, honestly, in this <laughs> business that most people don't do, is. They don't creatively look hard enough. They, oh, Bill says DSCR or commercial loan. I'm going to go to one local bank and I'm going to call the lender or Vizio or whoever it is about a DSCR and see what I can do. They're not shopping. Just like they don't run enough data or do enough research on the front end, they just go where it's easy to be able to get money.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I can tell you that's probably, the two biggest skill sets I think that I have is the ability Along with my partner, John, to creatively basically convince banks, and this is really John, John can convince banks to come to his terms, right? So if you are really strong in evaluating properties up front, like I'm like top half of 1%, and then you can identify creative funding. Because if you're really strong in evaluating, then you have really strong data to be able to show the bank to sell it to them. And then you can get way better creative way better financing options that are creative that may not even be part of the portfolio that the bank currently offers and we're seeing that mm-hmm. in all shores right now.
0: That's very interesting that you say that because we were able to secure funding just by putting a presentation together like a mm-hmm. presentation deck. And people don't realize that you know there's a little bit of a leeway. Like people just think oh it's impossible and then just don't even you know commit to it. But when you open up your mind and say hey You know, it is possible to work something out where they can feel secure in lending you money and, you know, making sure that the money gets back to to them.
1: Well, Uh, a little tip for everybody that's out there. Most people think that you, you, you take what you get with a bank. That's the case in most cases with like a DSCR product. But if you're walking into a commercial bank, you need to walk in like you're walking onto a car dealership lot. Mm-hmm. And the more knowledge you have, the more research you did ahead of time, the better chance you're going to have to be able to negotiate a better deal. Every commercial bank has options. So some of the things that you need to, like that portfolio is an example. Every boot camp that I've run, every one of them has a port, has literally that package that you talk about in it. And we deliver that. So that way they can copy it and they can see it. And it's your, it's not just your tax returns. And the, Look, the fundamental mistake that people make is they walk into their bank Hey, Patrick, my name's Bill. I'm looking to buy this property. Awesome. How much is it? Oh, let me pull that up and and show you the Zillow listing. Okay. Do you have your PFS? Do you have your tax returns? Oh, do you need that? Just by going through that exchange, the banker sees how inexperienced you are. And you just, you know, you went from 5.25 to 6% on the interest rate. You might be asking for 15% down, no fucking chance. You think you're going to try to negotiate a commercial bank from 20 to 25? No chance. Now I walk in and say, Hey, Patrick, I'm Bill Faith. Nice to meet you. Bill, do you have experience in, you know, real estate? Absolutely. You know, I've got 22,000 students Build short-term rental wealth, $13 million portfolio. By the way, here's my PFS. You can see these properties. Here's market value. I've got about seven and a half million in equity there yielding off $880,000 in free cash, doing 22% cash on cash. Here's the six performance that I've run on this deal already. By the way, here's my PFS. Here's the $969,000 in cash I have at Pinnacle Bank over here. Here's a certified letter. Here's my two tax returns. Here's the top eight properties and their comps. <laughs> Boom, Bill. So what did you yeah. want? Yeah, I want 25 years, four point seven five percent, and I need an extra hundred and fifty thousand on top of that price for construction. Done. It's Completely different than walking in and asking.
0: It's it's all trust at the end of the day, right? Like, can I trust this guy with my money? right? And and you come in, you come prepared, you know exactly what you want and exact terms of what you want and you know what kind of terms are you know flying around. So I think coming prepared is like one of the best ways to get the best rate from my understanding. So here's so. the big one. So we have a
1: thing in our mastermind, it's called the mastermind markup. And it was coined by the mastermind, but we do benchmarks. So I know everybody's location, entry price, cleaning costs, revenue, all that type of stuff. And it's roughly 30% over like the 90th percentile in AirDNA, right? So my mastermind as a whole, as an average, is doing like 120%. So showing, and I I outperform about 45 to 50% of AirDNA's 90th percentile nationwide. So you know what that banker is gonna do when I walk out of there? first thing he's gonna do is put my property into AirDNA, right? So I've got to show them too. Here's what AirDNA has on this property through Rentalizer. Here's what those comps are here's what my performance is showing. Let them know that you're gonna outperform it, but it's not just on this property. I gotta go back down into that, you know, attachment that goes into my PFS, it shows all my properties. And when I show them I'm doing 170,000, 290,000, 350,000, I gotta run those properties through as well. Give them the addresses, tell them, here's AirDNA, here's what I'm doing. So that way they see the track record. That is so critical. And almost nobody does that when they're walking into a bank.
0: hundred percent. I agree with you. hundred percent. I do have a, a few like exit questions before we wrap this up. So what advice would you give to somebody that's starting out? I think this is a common question.
1: I think it depends on their financial situation. I think it depends on their work situation. I think it depends on their family situation. There's so, I, I hate to answer it this way, but there's so, this is, so this is the deal about me. Most people are gonna say, do this. Go buy a property, start with arbitrage, go co-host, do whatever. I believe in knowing and being known. Um, I am not comfortable giving blanket advice. So I'm gonna do this a little bit differently. If you are 24 like Patrick, but you have no money, you're like straight out of you know college and, and your dad gave you five grand, you know, to go out on your own, then I would highly recommend that you you go into co-hosting. You know, subscribe to Airbnb Automated, listen to SDR Secrets, listen to my podcast SDR Unfiltered, get in our Facebook groups, consume every fucking thing that you can, every morsel of content for free around like co-hosting. You don't need to go watch my stuff about investing in cost segregations. So you got to understand what you're getting into, right? So if you've got no money co-hosting is the path to go down but you've got to become an expert in it and it's not even your you need to work for somebody for free for like 90 days and build a case study because if you can build a case study then you have something tangible to show that next prospect go join the airbnb co-host group and never oh i want to co-host in tampa i want to hey i'm looking to co-host in florida well what's your fucking value nobody delivers any value in co-hosting so go create your it's easy Create your value. So if you have no money, that's the path that I'll go down. I can give you a master class in like you know fifteen minutes on what you need to do. Build your case study. Most importantly, become the person of interest. At least three to five value propositions. Mindset wise, you have to become comfortable sharing your skills and teaching them what to do. Second part of this is how do you acquire clients? Literally dominate a market. If you live in San Antonio, go to you know Puerto and fi- find, just go on Airbnb and search like $1,000 plus on, you know, nightly or $500 plus. Look at the ones that are underperforming. Spend 99 bucks, get an DNA account, see which properties go, STRS, Insights account, see which properties are underperforming. Pick five, send them your case study and a probably a 500 word single page letter, educating them, telling them exactly what they can do to like increase 20, 30, 40, 50% on their revenue. And it's even better if you find properties that are like evolve as managing because they absolutely suck. So I'm targeting them and I'm giving them value to be able to do it on their own. Why? Because my mindset knows there's no chance they're going to do it. So if they're already using a PM, they're going to come back to me and say, Bill, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. Can you do this for me? Oh, you know what, Patrick? Let's discuss that. I might have an opening in my portfolio where I can squeeze you in because I only do this with X properties. But the biggest mistake too, is you got to set your bare minimum on how much so I started at hundred grand minimum on revenue at 18% plus $300 a month. You know, now I'm, two, I'm 150 to 175 minimum, and I'm at 23% plus 299 a month, which is just my retainer fee. So I, I would go down that path. I don't believe in arbitrage. A lot of friends, Sean, TJ, these guys that are in into arbitrage. I believe if I'm going to go do arbitrage, I'd rather build a co-hosting business, really a management business. I don't use that term because I don't property manage. I don't escrow. I don't own the accounts. I let my clients own everything. And because I think I can get the same sellable multiple off of that than I can off the risk of having the leases in an arbitrage business. So I steer clear of arbitrage. I'm perfectly happy with the people that do it because it doesn't affect me. Go do what you want. So I'm either going to own assets or I'm going to co-host. Those are the two ways that I'm going to go. And if you have no money, build up, you know, 100, 120,000 bucks to where you can go in and leverage that to buy into your assets long-term. There's a lot of people that don't want to own real estate. Sean Raskovich is an example. You know, he owns nothing. He doesn't want to own anything. He thinks he has the best model. And you know what? He does for him. And I have the best model for me. So understand that we are all from Avery Carl to Michael Shogren, to Sean, TJ, Julie, Brian Clark, Grant Cardone, Bill Fates. We all have our own models. You need to build one for you. Don't follow in the exact footsteps of what any of us are doing because we don't know what's behind the curtain at your house. You're the only one that knows that. Awesome.
0: And and this is for twenty year olds. Is there any advice you'd give to somebody that's more experienced or has money, I guess? kind of what what would you advise those kind of people to yeah, do? I mean,
1: I, I, I mean, I'm a believer right now, like I said earlier, I, I would definitely be buying real estate. I'd probably wait a couple of months. I, i'm I'm a wait and see to what happens after the election. I think that our inflation and interest rates right now are being held down. And I think it's gonna get a lot worse after the election. And I think that there I think I think the Democrats are going to control everything, you know, after the election. And look, I'm I don't want to get into a political discussion. I don't think it's ever good when either the Republicans control everything or the Democrats control everything. Right. I like to see some checks and balances in our political system because I hate our political system. And I think it's going to be a shit show coming coming in after the election. I think we'll see double digit inflation. I think we'll see double digit interest rates. I think it's going to be very challenging. So I'd take a wait and see approach. I'd hate to see you go buy a million dollar property today, put two hundred thousand dollars down, and literally see a twenty or thirty percent drop in equity, and see another twenty percent drop in stays, uh, and then one have no cash flow, and two have an asset that you're upside down in. So I'd just say be very, very cautious. Hence, that's why the performance becomes so important right now, and that's also why I'm only buying under. 650000 for single family home, and I'm buying multifamily. But one of the big components here is that our fund and myself personally, I built the capital to where I, I always carry at least 12 months carry costs in capital before I make an investment. So when I say I've got like $989,000 to invest, I'm not going to invest a million dollars in property. I'm not going to go write five $200,000 checks. A lot of that is for carry costs, on properties that I already have and also properties um, that I might purchase. Cause I am buying, right? So one of the things with money is you have to look at the tax advantages. I mean, I just got, Yona Weiss is one of the the go-to guys in our industry for cost aggregations and he's doing one for me right now and it's on new construction. It's not even a property that's 20, 30, 40 years old that's been Um, rehabbed, $300,000 in land costs $600,000 Six hundred thousand dollars in dwelling costs. and I got one hundred eighty-seven thousand year number one, and two hundred twenty-two thousand over the next, you know, four years after that. So that's a huge deal that I look at. Is I'm actually factoring in cost seg, uh, and so I have one performance where I factor in cost seg benefit. You know, Ryan Bakey's taught at a couple of my boot camps, and he and I never I never looked at it this way. I thought about it once again. That whole do- documenting and execution, right? So I thought about the cost seg and I kind of average it out to 20%. But then when I see it in the performa, it's like, holy shit, how can I pass this Mm -hmm. up? Because I might go from 30% cash on cash to like 54% cash Mm -hmm. on cash. So one of the things that's important that I'm really looking for is infinite returns. And that's infinite returns without having to cash out refi, which I've never done a cash out refi. I've never done a HELOC. I kind of live, so you have some context about me, Between Robert Kiyosaki and, and, uh, and, you know, my man, Dave, and I'm right (laughs) in the middle. (laughs) Dave lives about a quarter of a mile from me, and I want to be debt-free, right? And I want to be debt-free probably more than Patrick, because I'm 25 years older than him, and I'm five years away from retirement. Patrick can be way more aggressive today. I literally, if I I wish I had short-term rentals when I was your age, because I would be maxing out my LTV as quickly as I can on every single property. And that's how you go from, you know, co-hosting if you have no cash and building up 50 grand and buying a $250,000 property. And then ARV it over the next nine months, put $2,000 a month of your co-hosting into every month and just incrementally level it up and save your cash flow. And now you might have 12 months down the road, a $350,000 asset. Then you can cash out refi it. Well, today it sucks. It's probably 75%, maybe 80%. Yeah,
0: But in the past you
1: could do 85%. So then you might get another hundred and you put it into the cash that you've saved. Now you might have 150 to go buy a $650,000, a $700,000 property. It's exactly how I did it. I just didn't go stroke checks, you know, to to just buy these these massive properties. The biggest one I've ever bought today is 1.6 million. And I started this progression of tax preparation and scaling. And it took me a year and a half to turn a $429,000 property. Actually, yeah, 19 months from the investment in the $429,000 property, two bedroom, two bath on West Lagoon and Gulf shores into a $1.6 million, two and a half acre lodge at the top of the mountain in Banner Elk that I was projecting $340,0, when I bought it in early April. Now I'm looking at about 260 to 275 conservatively. It's still a good deal. It's still going to spit off over 20% cash on cash. But now I've got probably $600,000 in equity in that property with physically half a million dollars in, of my cash, you know, sitting inside of it. So I that will be probably be the first property that I will cash out refi out of because that'll be a long term hold for me. That'll be a retirement home, a lifestyle asset for me. So when the rates come back down and I don't think that'll be for four to five years, to be honest with you, uh, that will probably be the first property that I will cash out refi. So in the meantime, since that's my biggest liability uh, at roughly about a forty seven hundred dollar a month payment, um, I've got to make sure that I have that cash. I use the term escrow because I name them escrow accounts, even though they're not like true trust accounts. I have so I have an operating account. I have a deposit account, an operating account, and an escrow account for every property, right? And you talk about profit first, I pay 20% to my escrow account first. I have to keep, if I ever dip into that foreign investment or whatever it is, then I'm filling that first. That's what I talk about paying the business. Then I pay myself next.
0: Mm-hmm. 100%. That's, that's amazing advice. Um, thank you for that. So now another question, is there anything you're currently working on that you would like the listeners to know about? Anything you want to plug in?
1: Um, I, I don't really want to plug anything, but what I would say is listen to STR Unfiltered podcast and STR anomics. Kenny Bedwell from STR Insights mm-hmm. and I started a podcast a couple of weeks ago. You'll get the no bullshit real stuff. If you like what you've heard here with Patrick, then that's my jam over at STR Unfiltered. Mm-hmm. There's just it's a no BS approach. Um, I'm not gonna sugarcoat anything. And if you really want to learn how to evaluate properties and, and what goes into it and what to be looking for where to be buying, when to be buying, uh, that's SDRonomics with, with Kenny Bedwell mm-hmm. from SDR Insights and myself. That's really- yeah, I, the think
0: thing that's, I, I think that's that's like one of the things that I get most asked is, which market do I buy in? How do I buy? Like, how do I evaluate it? And I think that SDR Insights does a really good job of helping people narrow that down, like where to buy, you know, Kenny, to buy, whatever.
1: Kenny fundamentally changed the way that people like myself that are open to investing nationally evaluate properties Mm -hmm. because it used to be you had to choose a market find houses available in that market then go to air dna and run the numbers well now it's like literally open up your phone sort by gross roi so you see the most profitable (laughs) properties everywhere in the country and Mm -hmm. then you find the market that you like and then you distill it down to bedrooms Right. And then click on the map and you see what's available for sale right now. And you have the comps right there. So he fundamentally, not even, and I'm, you know, he's in my mastermind. And he started working on this around maybe July of last year. And he showed us the first rendition of a spreadsheet in our Gatlinburg meeting in September of last year. And I didn't, we, none of us really thought anything about how it was going to change and really open up the entire country for us. Mm-hmm. But that's the biggest deal to where, and we talked about mindset previously, Patrick, a lot of people just invest in their backyard. Hey, you know what, I live in Pittsburgh, I'm gonna invest in Pittsburgh or I don't wanna go Mm -hmm. out of Cleveland or whatever it is. There's so much more opportunity. So when you can just open it up and see what's available to purchase. And I'm telling you anything Mm -hmm. over 15% gross ROI and STR insights, that equivalates roughly, I can't guarantee it, but to 30% uh, cash on cash. If you put 20% down, and you don't go crazy, you know, on on post closing mm-hmm. numbers. Um, so really I don't look at anything that. under under fifteen percent, and I try to actually stay in that eighteen to twenty one percent range. And that's where we're finding all these new emerging markets, and it's mm-hmm. the ones that people
0: haven't over invested into do you like investing in medium or large markets? Like what's kind of your strategy? Just because I think a lot of times people don't want to invest into a specific market, get the whole team and cleaning crew ready. And then there's really not much money to be made there, you know, like a few houses, you know what I mean? But like, instead of scaling in the sense that you choose a market, you stick to it and then you develop your team around it and you buy like five, 10 houses. Like what what do you recommend somebody to do with that data?
1: I like tier two markets. And what I mean by that is, and I'm going to, you know, I I invested in Gulf Shores when, uh, he was one of my groomsmen at my weddings, him, him and his family owns half a Destin and they have for 30 years, like legit half a Destin. Mm -hmm. He he manages over a thousand properties and owns like 280, uh, from Fort Walton beach to 38. Um, and I'll never forget, we were having lunch in seaside and I call him Wee Wee. his name's William Wilson. He, uh, owns Frangista Beach Rental Properties, whatever the name of his company is there. And I said, we, we, Brie and I decided we wanted to buy a house here. And he's like, okay, how much money do you have? What's your budget? And I said, you know, maybe 650, uh, you know, we've got about 125,000 and he just starts laughing. He's also, he called me six and my nickname was six pack, uh, not because of my abs. That was when we were traveling in Asia and South America.
0: <laughs> um, he said
1: six um if you want to spend six hundred fifty thousand, this was 2015 we're not talking 2020 21 we're having lunch in seaside i'm like yeah i want to be here in seaside he's like okay well you're gonna to have to go on the other side of highway 90 or with the scenic highway whatever it was i'm like dude that's like two miles away he's like yeah if you want to be like if you want to even be walking distance like tier five tier six you were already looking at like six seven hundred thousand um, yeah, but Bria wants to see. Her continues. She wants to see the see the beach, hear the water, and smell it. And he laughed again, and he said, "Why don't you go look in Gulf Shores? I'd never heard of it. I mean, I'd heard of it, but I didn't know anything about it. I wasn't. I was. I was a long-term rental guy, right? I was commercial. I didn't have short-term rentals at that point. And uh, so, he told me a little bit about it, and I found a property. I, we contacted an agent. I found a property I liked two days before we went down. Uh, We were seeing 10 properties, literally from Nashville, you fly in, you land in Pensacola, you land at like 945, you drive an hour to Gulf Shores, then there's like a 450 flight out. So you've got like three hours on the ground if you want to fly in and out same day. I can't even tell you how many times I've done that. Um, So we saw 10 properties in like the three and a half hours that we were there. Uh, And the very first one was the one that I found uh, on Zillow, just randomly looking a couple of days before it just listed on the market. And that's the one that we bought. Uh, it was, wow. and you could see the water. It was unencumbered views. Uh, it was called Bella Vista. Um, it was a four bedroom, three bath that had never been STR before very unique design, two huge decks, hundred yards to walk to the beach, had everything that, that I needed to get started. And that's how I was able to take it from a shitty property management company that, you know, basically puts it in their system. I think they're what are they use in stream or streamline or something like that back in the day. And they just, they don't do it. Right. They're not optimizing. They're not, they, nobody was using beyond and, you know, price labs and that type of stuff back right, then. Right,
0: right. Nobody yeah. was doing
1: Facebook ads or any of that type of stuff. So literally three months in um, I fired the property management company that came with the realtor. Right. So a lot, okay. Realtor property manager. Great. You guys will take care of it. You'll rent it. You're the professionals. Worst thing I ever did. And that's how I started. You know, self-managing. So I just had a bad right. experience. But so those—that's t- how I got into Gulf Shores, based on somebody that had way more experience in the market I wanted to invest into. Right. So right. then my—I I look at my next market. I mean, I was—I owned a, a property in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, I moved out to Carefree. I, I took my cash, and then I moved out to Carefree. I invested more, in, and that was—and I should say the the tier two market was Gulf Shores to Destin but I started in Fort Morgan, right? I didn't start investing in Gulf Shores and then go out to Fort Morgan. I started in Fort Morgan. Then I bought another property in Fort Morgan. Then I came back to West Beach in Gulf Shores. And now I've got a beachfront in Fort Morgan, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. the reason I came back was the airport, right? So there's a reason I invested in, in Western North Carolina because I'm not, I don't want to be in the Smokies. So one of the things that I think is really critical is you have to look at the level of hosting, right? Meaning... If you want to go into the Smokies today, if you're if you're buying anything above a three bedroom, like four, five, six, seven, eight bedrooms, you got to have kick-ass views and you better have a $50,000 game room in your garage and a hot tub just to compete. And now Peyton mm-hmm. Abernathy's taking it to the whole next level where he's putting like indoor pools in every one of his houses mm-hmm. and he has the, mix. The, so that's a little bit different. That's unique, right? But literally game room, views, hot tubs, you have, that's like, the barrier to entry and the people that don't do that get crushed. So that was kind of my jam. I took what I saw in Seaside, the bikes, the paddle boards, all that type of stuff I put in at at that first house, Bella Vista. Nobody had it in Fort Morgan, not even in Gulf Shores. Brand new golf cart, paddle boards, kayaks, all that type of stuff that I started implementing immediately when I fired that property management company after two months in the summer. What do you think happened In my neighborhood, my two redneck friends that were from Kentucky down there, we call them the Kentucky Headhunters, like legit, like literally Morgan Wallen mullets to the extreme. Um, Within three months or four months of me having golf carts, they bought golf carts. Right. And a lot of people get pissed about people copying the stuff that they're doing. My wife, who's turned into a great designer, we upgraded all the furnishings, even though we didn't need to. Well, people in my neighborhood, Morgantown, started doing the same thing. You know what happened? And this is where saturation is good if the saturation is educated. Overall, that area of the rent started going up, right? I have 13 properties in Fort Morgan just that my mastermind owns. 13 properties, just my mastermind. I know of about another probably 15 to 20 properties that people in my host academy, my library own out there, right? So let's just call it 50 for easy math. There's not much um, you know, there, there's not much volume. You know, you're looking like two streets typically in that area. We have dramatically impacted that market to lift up the ADR because of we've completely leveled up the hosting. And there's this much bigger separation now between the proper, the shitty property management companies and what we're doing. Right. So those right. people that are doing it are lifting everyone else up. That's what I love about masterminds. That's what I love about going to the stuff that you talk about, going to the conferences and learning the stuff and then connecting with people in those areas to where we can help lift them up as well. And, but man, I went to uh, Banner Elk and Beach Mountain instead of the Smokies, cause I saw the one, the pricing, saw the, op- found a hole in the market with my Banner Elk property at like 16 plus occupancy. Um, and uh, the hosting there is horrible. It's not, look, it's, that's the most challenging market I've ever been in for services. For like handymen, plumbers, cleaners, it's very, very hard. It's very, very challenging. Sometimes I want to exit the market because of how challenging it is, to be honest with you. And that's part, it should be part of your vetting process when you go into these tier two markets. And it's yeah. one of the reasons you asked about like small, medium, large, I will never go into a small market. Uh, but the competition, even though there's saturation, there's volume of properties in that Western North Carolina area, the hosting is way down right? Compared oh, okay. to like Gatlinburg. So I can outhost those people pretty easily yes. without having to spend 40 hours a week per property. Now I'll give you a quick example. If you would have looked done some, you can't really do this on like AirDNA, Rabble, or Mashvisor, but when we first started looking at, got into the alpha testing and the beta testing of SCR insights, um, when we were in Gatlinburg, like the second week of September last year in our mastermind, the number one town for gross ROI in the country was Logan, Ohio. Wow. You ever heard of it? No. Neither did I. Nobody nobody (laughs) in the room had ever heard of it. Yeah. The only thing they have there from a business, you know, kind of economical standpoint is a sod farm. And literally Logan, Ohio is like one mile to a state park. So remember, September of last year was 2021. What are we looking at from data? Trailing 12 months. Crushed it through when everything reopened in 2020 through September of 2021, right? So like we saw prime numbers of a market that only had like eight STRs in it, but it skyrocketed the gross ROI. You could buy an eight bedroom property there today for 300,000 bucks, right? Not an investable market, way too small, was only crushing it because of COVID, right? And that's the thing that we have to look at. How did COVID, it affected everything, but how does, did it affect a specific market? That's why I want to look at historical data. And I also want to look at the forecasted data, you know, moving forward. That's why I use the pacing. Yeah, pacing of
0: 2019 numbers, pacing, you've got to have more data. You can't just look at the AirDNA number and just come to a conclusion. That's what you're going to make, you know?
1: hundred percent. So when you look at size of market, it's kind of irrelevant to me, but I would never go into a small market. So I'm in one of the most saturated markets, Gulf Shores, right? And, uh, you know, outside of that, I'm in kind of tier two. And it's still a tier two market to Destin, but there's still 14,000 STRs in that market, which it goes from basically Dauphin Island, I'll kind of throw that away, but from Fort Morgan to Orange Beach. But what most people don't know is that you're looking at like 9,000 of those are condos just in really that whole area, but really concentrated in Orange Beach. If right. you look at the primary of a market and this is, where we're doing some super deep analysis, right? You're looking at East Beach, which is only like three blocks long. And then you're looking at West Beach, which is like four streets for a mile, right? And then it drops mm-hmm. down to two streets and then one street, which is tier one and tier two going for three miles out to the end. And then a little subdivision with probably 20 homes on the very end. Very similar when you go out to Fort Morgan, right? Once you get into Fort Morgan, you've got basically park on the left-hand side. Then you come and you've got, it opens up right around the beach club. And you've got a couple of roads, like five, six roads. So a couple hundred houses. Then you go through Kiva, Kiva Dunes, the golf course, right? And there's probably 500 houses in Kiva. Then once you get past that, you're at like Surfside, Morgantown, and all the way out in there. It's like one or two streets. That's it. So there's not that much volume. People think there is because they just look, oh my God, there's 14,000, it's saturated. It's yep. not look deeper, pull the, the layers of the onion back and really look at what's in the core and what's in the center. Right. That's where the evaluation process and going deep, if you want to be, be successful in this business, you have to learn how to do deep, rich evaluations because it's not just looking at the data. It's a lot of the other stuff that goes behind it when you're evaluating the marketplace hundred percent
0: and what when people say saturation how do you respond to that oh there's market saturated i mean <laughs> i get I, that a lot so i curious. go back
1: to my my glow golf business i mean i'm bankrupt today if i put that thing you know in the middle of nowhere nobody's gonna drive to come do that it's not that fun but you know what it was it was unique and different to where we when we go into a mall like opry mills mall which is right next to the gaylord opry land and right next to um the grand Ole opry right and it's you know people from Nashville come and they do 24 million people a year 24 million people a year i only need one percent not even that a half of one percent of people to give Mm -hmm. me 10 bucks to play golf to build a million dollar business so if you don't have traffic Nobody's coming. You're not going to be fucking good enough to educate an entire population to come to your property, let alone. This is one thing y'all better get to your fucking head. Nobody is planning vacations around your property. Nobody's saying, oh my God, look at Patrick's amazing flat in Soho. I'm going to schedule a business meeting in Manhattan so I can go stay in his property. They are coming to your location for other shit. We are secondary, we will always be secondary. I don't plan my vacations to go stay at a Marriott or a Hilton hotel. I decide where I'm going and then we will get the accommodations once we decide where we're going. If you understand that and you really design, implement inside of your property, outside on the acreage, and then in your marketing campaigns that that's what they're looking for first,
0: you will have a competitive advantage. 100%. 100%. Location in real estate, especially in our field is everything. So like 100%. Cool. Well, I know this has gone a little bit over, but I just wanted to finish this off with how can listeners really connect with you online? Do you have social media or anything that you want them to visit to learn more oh, about I'm you? I'm too old
1: for that stuff, Patrick. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm almost 50, man. Uh, no, I'm, I'm everywhere. I mean, really, build short term rental wealth Facebook group is probably the best spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm dropping educational videos on TikTok. It's B Faith, whether my B Faith on TikTok, Bill Faith 73 on Instagram. Um, you know, I'm pretty much everywhere. We've got look yes, at you,
0: you're I'm plugged on. in. You're plugged yeah, in. I in I mean, all I'm young young trying are. to stay hip <laughs> with
1: you young kids. I'm doing, I got my captions, my emojis going, everything on my, there you go. And my Instagram. I just don't dance go. on TikTok.
0: I'm just there to educate. <laughs> no dances coming up? Well, I don't know if people are going to want to follow if there's no dances coming I'm gonna
1: up. I'm going to get my... I, okay, <laughs> I'll make a promise to everybody. I'm going to get my boy Walker Hayes, who I'm friends with, and we'll do a dance, but I need some practice. So give me a, give me a few weeks. And right? that's, and we'll that's a promise. What's that?
0: put it on video so that that's a promise
1: that's what i'm saying we'll put it on aa we'll do, uh-huh. we'll do it to aa or fancy like or something like that but
0: <laughs> also, you know if okay. you watch
1: his stuff on tiktok we got to do it in like a walmart or something like that because he's always like <laughs> shopping at our publics or
0: walmart or something oh it, it has to be in public it has to be in public that's yeah. exception.
1: <laughs> but yeah <laughs> well, i mean you can also. find me pretty much anywhere on social i would say that build Build STR wealth, build short-term rental wealth. The the Facebook group probably has the most value because the members are just incredible in there. It's not a bitch session about cleaners or guests like some of the other groups.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, I will say one more thing to anybody that wants to get connected with Bill. Bill is probably one of the most accessible people, in my opinion. You know, he talks to everybody at a conference. He's always willing to give help. He's probably going to be blushing right now when, when I say all this stuff, but he's really, really a giving person. I definitely recommend even asking questions. He's going to be responding in all the comments in the Facebook group. It's been amazing. So I appreciate you saying that. that I'm
1: not going to blush yeah. because it's a hundred percent fact and it's extremely, <laughs> inten-
0: it's extremely intentional. Yeah.
1: So what's different about me is I don't want to sell to anybody. I wouldn't, don't be afraid to skip sco- I mean, I do probably six to eight free calls a day. I wanna be accessible. I wanna give more. I know that if I give you enough value and that the value add is a, a shitty term that's just overused by people that don't deliver value. But if I invest into you, I shouldn't have to ask you to invest with me. If I can do something to change your path in 30 minutes or 15 minutes or an hour, then I believe at some point, it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, it might be a year down the road, that you'll come back and you'll end up seeing something. Wow, I need to go to the STR Wealth Conference. I I want coaching from Bill. I want whatever. So And I run my properties that way as well, just FYI. I do everything in my life, everywhere in, in my business. So I, I, for me as a coach, and I actually, my whole family was sports coaches and I was a college golf coach as well. And then as a coach in this industry and other industries trying to help people with their life and business, if somebody is only going to charge you to have a conversation with you or not be accessible, what do you think the relationship is going to look like once you're actually paying them? It's pretty simple in my opinion. So that I appreciate 100%. you seeing that and mentioning that because it is extremely intentional on my side.
0: That's awesome. Thanks, Bill, so much for hopping on and your time for sharing everything you know. So. Thanks, man. Yeah, most importantly,
1: don't forget about Las Vegas. I think it's October 14th, 15th. Is that right? October 15th and
0: 16th, right. October
1: 15th, 16th. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give Patrick a little plug here Uh, for STR Nation (laughs) in Vegas. What's your URL? Is it just strnation.com? It's str-nation.com. str-nation.com. There you go. Las Vegas, who doesn't want to go to Vegas in October?
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course. Well, thank you, Bill. I appreciate everything, all right? Thanks for having me. Have a wonderful day. All right. Bye-bye.